like for us to turn in our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, please. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. We'll begin reading with verse 32. And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they, de- and they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now I want to bring you a message on the seven last words of Jesus or sayings from the cross. We won't deal with all seven this morning, but I'll give you the introduction to the seven and we'll deal with the first three of them. And the next four, next Sunday, the Lord willing. Because you cannot cover all these words in one sermon. But I would like for us to remember that the last words of anyone that he speaks before death is noteworthy. Especially has it been said of Christians when they say their last word. You've heard people say, well, that was the last word. My mother, my father, my husband, my wife. That was the last word they spoke before they died. But these are the seven last words, or sayings, we'll call them, of Jesus. More than just a word. But the seven last sayings of Jesus that he spoke on the cross. And if anyone's words before death would have a very special significance, then surely the words of Jesus would have a very special meaning. Now then, the number of these words are seven. Seven sayings, we'll give them to you in a moment. Seven words that Jesus spoke from the cross, which is a sacred and a mystical number. The word, or the number seven, is a number of completion. It's a number of sacred and mystical meaning and significance. No evangelist, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, gives you all of these sayings of Jesus. We've read here in Luke, And he gave us three of them. Look in verse uh, 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was the first word. The second word is in verse 43. 
Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then the last word that he spoke from the cross, Luke records it, and it's in verse 46, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But there are other words that were spoken. Luke gives us the first and the second and the last. But there are many others. So no evangelist or no one of, of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, give us all of them, and yet every one of them give us some of these words. Matthew and Mark have one. Matthew and Mark give us the fourth one. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We'll give you these in an orderly fashion in just a moment, so don't get excited and uh, think that I'm just going to hit on them here and there. I'll give you an orderly meaning of them in just a moment. But Luke has three that we've already mentioned, and John has three. Now, in a careful study of the Bible, will show that this is the order of the seven last words of Jesus on the cross, and I'll give you those seven right now. The first one we've already mentioned, Luke 23:34, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the first word that Jesus spoke from the cross. The second word was to the repentant thief, and we've given you that. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's Luke 23, 43. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The third word you'll find in John 19 and verse 27, where Jesus says, 26 I should say, he said, Woman, behold thy son. Woman, behold thy son. And then he goes on to say, Then saith he to the disciples, Behold thy mother. So it's, woman, behold thy son. And then the fourth word is in Matthew and Mark, but we'll give you Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 27, verse 46, Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the fourth word that Jesus spoke from the cross. And then the fifth word is again in John chapter 19 and verse 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That's in John 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 30, says this. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And that's the sixth word that Jesus spoke from the cross. It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now then, before he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, he said this that we've re referred to in Luke 23, verse 46, which is the seventh word. Luke 23, 46 is the seventh word from the cross. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Now this is the last word that he spoke. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. So you have the order of them. Luke 23, 34, Luke 23, 43, John 19, verse 27, Matthew 27, 46, and along with that one of Matthew 27, 46, Mark records it also in Mark 15, 34. This is the only one that's recorded by two of the uh, gospel writers. And then the fifth one, John 19, 28, the sixth one, John 19, 30, and the seventh one, Luke 23:46. Almost all Bible scholars will agree that this is the proper order of these seven last words of Jesus from the cross. Jesus was on the cross six hours. Now we'll get into a furtherance of the message. Jesus was on the cross 
six hours before he died. There were three hours of daylight from nine o'clock in the morning till twelve noon. And then from twelve noon it became totally dark until three o'clock in the afternoon. So there were three hours of daylight and there were three hours of darkness. The first three of these words that we'll deal with this morning and expound in just a moment, Jesus spoke in the daylight. The last four, which the Lord willing we'll deal with next week, he spoke in darkness. The first three, he is concerned about others round about him. The last four, he speaks concerning himself and concerning God, and they are dominated with a thought of atonement. I'd like to tell you, first of all, that all of these things find their source in the Old Testament. So that, in a sense, every word that Jesus was speaking here on the cross had a prophetic a source of the Old Testament. And we find that the seven sayings are variously divided. We'll divide them in this way and classify them. There were three in daylight and three and four in darkness that we've already pointed out. But you can divide them in another way. The first three that we'll deal with this morning are characterized by thoughtfulness, by Christ's thoughtfulness for others. And the fourth and the, uh, and the fifth show his travail. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I first show the travail of Christ. And the last two, the sixth and seventh, show the triumph of Christ. And what are they? He said, it is finished. And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And so you find that they can be divided into kind of a threefold outline. Twofold at first, daylight and darkness. The first three and the last four. And then a threefold outline. Thoughtfulness, travail, and triumph when you divide them up again. And I don't want to confuse you, but I do want to make it definite. The first three show Christ's thoughtfulness for others. But in the last four that's spoken in darkness, it can be divided again into travail and triumph. So that the fourth and the fifth word, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me and I thirst, show his travail. The last two, the sixth and the seventh, show his triumph. He said, it is finished, and then into, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So that dealing with these first three that are characterized by thoughtfulness, in which Christ revealed his consideration for others, there are three parties that are in view. First of all, his cruel enemies. The first party. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then second, for the repentant thief. He says, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then the third word, where he says, Woman, behold thy son. So that all of these three show us Christ's thoughtfulness for his enemies, for the repentant sinner, and for his own, his faithful followers, especially his mother. For the first one, he offers prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For the second one, he grants pardon to the repentant thief. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. For the third one, he makes provision. He says, woman, behold thy son. He was about to leave this earth and this life. And he said, woman, to his mother. Behold thy son. He turned her over to the care of John, the beloved. In the first, he is seen as intercessor. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the second, he is seen as a rewarder. 
a rewarder of the repentant thief, that today shalt thou be with me in paradise. In the third, he is seen as a sympathizer. He sympathizes with the needs of his mother and says, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And so, in each of these sayings, we see something very definite. And we've already pointed out a part of it. We're going to expound it in just a moment. But I'd like to say this, that in each of these sayings, Jesus is nailing down a deadly heresy of the Christian age. He's clarifying many misunderstandings. You know, there are some that are atheists in this world, and there are some that are not really atheists. They're called deists. Tom Paine and Voltaire were not atheists, as some have believed, but they were deists. And by that we mean that they believed in the fact of a God, but they thought that God was so uh, high and holy that he had no interest in man, that he was too far away to be interested in man's needs or in man's sorrows, and that he had neither time nor thought for man in his misery, and yet, and that he was not a personal God, though they believed in the fact of God, and yet this first word of Jesus from the cross makes sure that that error is done away with. Because he said, in the hour of his greatest suffering and sorrow, in the hour of his greatest pain and agony, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So that thought of the deist is completely put aside, isn't it? Jesus did care. What would you and I be concerned about? Usually on the cross, men would speak, but they would speak of pain. They would have wild expression, almost speaking out of their mind. They would be cursing God and man and bringing curses upon those that had put them there. And the for the... Uh, crime that they were suffering for and being crucified for, they would be bitterly opposed to those that had brought this judgment upon them. And Jesus certainly would have had every right to call God's judgment upon those round about him, for he had done no sin at all. Who did no sin, neither was there any fault in him at all. He was condemned. He was beaten. He was tried. He was falsely accused. He was permitted to be taken to the death of the cross. And yet, what was the words of Jesus Christ? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Instead of cursing, instead of being bitterly opposed, instead of even saying, God, Father, you know that I am innocent and righteous and just. Bring judgment upon those that have condemned thy son. That would have been right for him to do in his case, but he, he did not do that. He said, Father, the first word he ever spoke, spoke on the cross was Father. The last word he spoke, Father. Father, forgive me. The last word, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. So the first word he spoke was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Certainly this heresy. This heresy of the fact that God does not care about man is really put to death there and nailed down as a heresy because Jesus lived otherwise. He died otherwise. He did care. And Jesus was manifesting the Father in every respect. In this first word that Jesus spoke from the cross, we'll deal with these individually now. I want you to see several things. In the first thought, let's look at the scripture itself. In Luke 23, verse 34, it says, 
Then said Jesus, they were crucifying Christ. He was on the cross. There they crucified him. In verse 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'd like for us to deal with this thought now very most definitely. You know, here is an utterance of sovereign grace. The sovereign grace of God. It would be grace for Jesus even to be merciful to those round about him, wouldn't it? But here is sovereign grace. And it extends beyond just extending mercy to them. It goes even to the extent of Jesus praying for them. Offering prayer. When we think of sovereignty, we think of being above all, of being far superior to all other, others, the chiefest, the greatest, the supreme, the, the place of holding position of supreme ruler. And Jesus, though he was being crucified, was the Son of God and would yet be glorified in the presence of God throughout all eternity. And he is the one that will come again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And this is the one that said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want us to think just a moment of the fact that Jesus was practicing what he had preached. Had not Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them that persecute you and despitefully use you? You know, you and I might think that that is some kind of a fanciful dream that we should pray for our enemies and that we should do uh, pray for those that oppose us and that persecute us. And you know, many times in life, you and I will preach what is right and true from the Word of God, but for us to practice it is a different thing. But Jesus did exactly what he preached. He taught that we should love our enemies. But he did love his enemies. Not only in life, but what did he do when he was dying on the cross? The very first thing he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He fulfilled that which he preached. He did have the love. He was not only extending that love, some say, was it for the Jews? Or was it for the Romans? Or was it for both of them that he prayed? Was it for the soldiers? Was it for the multitudes round about? Yes, it was for the Jews and for the Romans, for the soldiers, for the multitudes, and for every sinner, and even the repentant thief that was hanging on one side of him on another cross. And for the one that did not repent, he was saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Men are ignorant of their need of forgiveness. And yet they need forgiveness. The Bible teaches that we need forgiveness, doesn't it? The Bible teaches that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible teaches you and I that we need the forgiveness that Christ has provided for. And Jesus prayed for that forgiveness. And he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's a wonderful thing if you and I can find in this prayer of Jesus, room for ourselves in that word, them. When he says, Father, forgive them, who's he speaking about? Is he speaking about the Jews? Is he speaking about the Romans? Is he speaking about the soldiers? Is he speaking about the multitudes round about him that had, uh, first of all, followed him and heard his teaching, and next had cried out at the encouragement of the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, crucify him, crucify him? Is he talking about every ignorant sinner? Is he talking about you and I, of all of mankind? 
when he says, Father, forgive them. Let's crowd ourselves in to that little word, them, and make ourselves a part of that prayer of Jesus. Could you do that this morning? When Jesus says, Father, forgive them, who's he praying for? He's not only praying for the Jews and the Romans and the multitudes and the soldiers and the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, but he's praying for all of mankind. And you and I can squeeze ourselves in there and find that we're included. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Later on, Peter spoke and he said, you did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul says, I did it in ignorance and in unbelief. They did not know that they were crucifying the Lord of glory. So the first word that Jesus speaks from the cross is in the form of a prayer. The first word that he says is, Father, where would you and I... This shows his faith, doesn't it? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can you imagine him still having faith? When things go against us, when things begin to go sour for us, when we begin to have troubles and trials and problems, look at Jesus, what he had endured. Look at the suffering. Look at the, first of all, look at the denial. Look at the betrayal. Look at the trial. Look at the sufferings of Christ that he'd already endured. Look at Jesus now being led away to to Calvary. Look at him now on the cross of Calvary being crucified for the sins of the world. And then just look upon him and say, here's a man that's endured so much suffering, so much mis- uh, uh, ill treatment, and so much, ter- so many terrible things that surely by now he would have lost faith. You and I undergoing the same thing would say, "Well, if God is for me, I can't, I can't see where He is." Wouldn't we? We'd say, "God has certainly forsaken me. God is not with me." But He said, "Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." It shows us that in spite of all, you and I might think that God had left us. Which would not be true. Do you know God never leaves his own? The Bible says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You and I sometimes feel like when things happen that we don't uh, see the presence of God and understand the presence of God and the dealings of God. We say God has forsaken us. God is not with us. It is never true in the life of one of God's children. And yet we feel it a lot of times, don't we? Because of the circumstance. And certainly if anyone ever had the right to feel it, Jesus had the right to feel it. But he prayed in faith and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second thing, he prayed for the greatest need of all humanity, for forgiveness. That they would have time to repent. And he prayed for all humanity. That not only being the Jews and the Romans and the ones we've mentioned, but for you and I, we're included in that number that Jesus prayed for. Certainly. There is room for us. All have need of this prayer of Jesus. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He proved that his faith was unshaken. Even though he had endured much and passed through much, his faith was still in the Father. I want you to turn to the next one now as we read on down. In verse, Let's begin reading with verse 39. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be the be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, 
Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This is what the repentant thief confessed and prayed to Christ. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want us to think of a moment, first of all, as we've dealt with the first one of these sayings, now dealing with the second one, and we said that, that Jesus nails down a deadly heresy of the Christian age in every one of these things. You know which one it is, the doctrine that is so misunderstood today? He said to this repentant thief, now listen carefully, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What is the heresy today that exists? This kills the doctrine or the teaching that many believe today of the intermediate state of soul sleep. It's taught by many false cults today among whom are the Jehovah's Witnesses, the so-called Jehovah's Witnesses. But Jesus meant for this repentant thief not that he would sleep for a thousand years and then be with Christ later on, or ten, or two thousand, or when Jesus comes again. But he said to him, Today shalt thou be with me, not in death, but in paradise. And so this puts that error to sleep, doesn't it? Jesus meant within a few hours. The promise here implied a continued consciousness after death. That this thief knew that he was coming again in his kingdom, but Jesus was telling him that he would be with him even in a short while, even today in paradise. He was telling him that shortly he would be out of this life. That's true. The man knew he was going to die. Jesus knew he was dying. But Jesus knew that he was going to be completely conscious after death and that he would bring with him uh, out of the grave even that repentant thief or the soul of that, that one that believed in him into eternal glory with himself. Paul says to depart is to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, so that heresy of soul sleep is put to death by the word of Jesus on the cross. I want you to notice something else. Let's deal with the repentant thief himself. He recognized Jesus as the sinless one. He said, we indeed deserve the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And then when he prayed, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Can you see the faith of this thief in those words? He recognized him as Lord. He recognized Jesus as having a kingdom that was to come and that his kingdom would be an eternal kingdom. He could not have much faith in a man that was hanging there dying as far as this life is concerned, could he? Here, Jesus was dying. He was going out of this life just the same as this repentant thief. And he was about to depart this life. And yet the thief looked to him for help and for the future. And he said, Lord... Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And so his faith was in Christ. You know, you might say that this repentant thief was given pardon by Jesus in this second word from the cross. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You're forgiven, you're pardoned. Everything is all of your past life. All of the wrong you've ever done, all of the guilt you've ever felt. It's all forgotten because you've asked me to remember you, Jesus is saying, and he says, today shalt thou be with me. It's all forgiven and forgotten. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was an answer to his prayer. It was the salvation of his soul. It was the extending of God's grace 
and mercy to him in the hour of his death and in the hour of his confession of need, which is the same that God has done for each and every one of us. For the first word, he offered prayer. The second is a word of pardon. And the third, when we get to it, is provision. But see, prayer, pardon, and provision would be the summation of these three words that we're dealing with this morning, of the seven words of Jesus from the cross. I want us to see that his request was to Jesus, uh, was that Jesus would remember him. Just remember me, he says. And Jesus went beyond what he was requesting, didn't he? The man just wanted to be remembered. He said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom, into thy kingdom. And what was the answer? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It was far more than the repentant thief expected. You might give a spiritual biography of this thief in, the, in this way. First of all, guilt and then grace and then glory. Guilt and grace and glory. He was there on the cross beside Jesus as a guilty uh, sinner. And he said, we receive the due reward of our deeds. He knew he was a criminal. He knew he was suffering now for in this life for the crime that he had committed. Uh, possibly he was aware of the fact that there was a suffering and a judgment to come in the life beyond. But that guilt was all removed. Just like all of our guilt is removed when we come to Christ. And trust him as our own personal Savior. And then the second thing, grace. Not only was he guilty, but he found that the grace of God was more than sufficient for his guilt. He said to him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. As he said, Lord, remember me. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Far beyond and above what the repentant thief expected. And then, we said it would be summed up in guilt and grace and what? Glory. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in glory. You will be with me. I'm going to be glorified. And you're going to be with me. And so Jesus was promising this repentant thief that he would be delivered from his guilt by the grace of God and he would be with Christ in glory in the future. You know, this repentant thief reproved approves this, that good works have no part in salvation. Do you know that? That good works have no part in salvation. What happened to him is a proof of that fact. He had no good works to offer. Someone might say that you're saved by works. Well, this man wasn't saved by works. What works could he do? He only said one thing, Lord, remember me. And the next instant, there was forgiveness, and then death, and then glory. Right? He had no good works. If baptism did not save him. He couldn't even come down and be baptized. You see? It shows us that good works have no part in salvation. It proves that salvation is instantaneous, that it happens in a moment of time. There may have been a process whereby he had heard before some of the truth of God. But at the moment he came to believe on Christ and to trust him and to surrender to him, salvation came. We talk about instantaneous salvation. That means that the instant that you believe on Christ, the moment you are saved. But it doesn't mean that you've never heard about him. It doesn't mean that you have never been taught about him. It doesn't mean that you don't know something about what is wrong with you, that you're a sinner, and what's right about the Lord, that he is the Savior. Though it does happen in an instance when you come to finally believe on and trust in completely and totally the Lord Jesus as your own personal Savior, that's salvation. 
And he saved you with an everlasting salvation. But you've been taught, you've been instructed. The salvation that comes is instantaneous. It proves another thing, that God loves lost sinners. The incident of the repentant thief proves that God loves lost sinners. We find that he extended his love to this thief there on the cross. And he was manifesting the love of God to him. It proves that when a Christian dies, he goes to be with the Lord. He said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I want us to see then, the first word was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second word is, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The third word from the cross, I want us to deal with now for a moment of time. If you turn to the Gospel of John chapter 19, let's read verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, his mother, and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother. Now here's the third word he speaks from the cross. He saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. That's the third word Jesus speaks. Woman, behold thy son. And then it says, Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. But first he said, Woman, behold thy son. Now then, here is a direct denial of the doctrine Mary, the mother of God, the refuge of sinners, the advocate of souls. Mary is elevated by the church of Rome to a fourth place in the Godhead, which she doesn't have. The place given to her and the prayers offered to her all indicate that she's exalted to a place of mediatorship. But Jesus did not hand John over to Mary and say, Say, a son, behold thy mother. He said, woman... Behold thy son. He handed his mother over to John. You see the difference? He handed his mother over to John. So that John did not have to look to her for any special grace to be bestowed. But she looked to John for provision and and watch care. And you see how that the heresy of the teaching of the mediatorship of Mary. And the fact that some say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of death is a false teaching. And not according to God's word. Did you know that of all the times that Jesus addresses his mother in the Bible, he never says mother to her? And it doesn't mean that he disrespects that fact. She was his mother, according to the flesh. But it certainly would appear that if the place that some have given her of prominence and of elevation that Jesus would have at least one time said mother, but he didn't. You search the record completely and you'll find that he never says mother. He says, woman, behold thy son. And then uh, says he to his disciple, behold thy mother. He speaks of his mother, but he doesn't talk to her and, and say mother. Speak to her directly, his mother. He points the disciple out to her. And so we find that uh, the Bible teaches a lot different. Than, than some people have been taught. She is not a, an inter- intermediate for sinners. She's not a mediator for sinners. But there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Uh, in verse 19 again, I mean verse, chapter 19, verse 26, let's read it again and then we'll deal with some of the things. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, now what did he say? Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to his disciples, Behold thy mother. He speaks to the disciple of his mother, but he does not 
say that unto her. He says, woman, behold thy son. Now then, I want you to notice something about this portion of scripture. It shows us Christ's love and provision for his mother. He certainly did love her. She was his mother. He loved her as such. And he's concerned about her provision as far as physical things are concerned. He turns her over to the care of the most trusted and beloved one of all of his disciples. John, the beloved one. And he says, woman, behold thy son. I'm turning you over to the care of my most trusted follower. My most trusted and faithful apostle and disciple. And he knew that she would be well taken care of. That regardless of what other things John might have to do, that he would take care of Mary. And so he turned her over to John's keeping. And then he made John feel a closeness that he felt. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. So he wanted John to take his place now. He wanted John to feel just as close in these spiritual ties that Jesus was leaving with him as Jesus had felt before in the natural ties and bonds that he had experienced. The Bible says, having loved his own, he loved them unto the uttermost, unto the end. He had nothing in the world to leave but his love and his peace. Wouldn't it be something if you and I left this life and had nothing to leave? No possessions. We're worried about what we leave our children and what uh, goes down from generation to generation. Jesus had not anything. He didn't even have a stitch of clothes now, did he? They'd taken all those away and gambled for them. He had nothing whatsoever to leave but his love and his peace. If we could leave the love and peace, we wouldn't have to have anything else, would we? But Jesus did leave that in the hour of his death. I want us to notice something about this provision that he made. Jesus, in his dying hour, made provision. This word would indicate that he made provision for Mary, for his mother. It would indicate that he made provision for her physical and material needs, knowing that John would fulfill these. And it's an indication that he has made provision for all of his own that have need today. So that you and I can say, as the word of God teaches, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That the Lord has left in his provision for us, and even in his word in his dying hour, for the family ties and the family circle, that every need of our homes, of our lives, be taken care of. And not only has he left that provision for us, the Bible says that he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, with Christ, also freely give us all things, all the blessings of life, all the food that we have, the material possessions, the clothing, the shelter, the blessings that we enjoy, Today are because the Lord has bestowed them upon us. But listen, far more than that. You say, well, that's physical and material provision. But in his provision for us, he not only made provision for our spiritual, I mean, for our physical and, and material needs, but he made provision for our spiritual needs. So that everything that we need in a spiritual way is provided for us. 
The Bible says that he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, in a spiritual atmosphere. We enjoy the spiritual blessings of Christ. We enjoy so much of the provision of Christ that he has provided in his death on the cross for our salvation. Not in Mary, not in John, but in himself. The Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That in Christ's death, the provision that he made for our salvation is that he died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We find that the provision that is made is made for all lost sinners. John says, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 